my daughter wrote in a high school, um, and her, actually it was like, like a college acceptance essay. Mm-hmm. She wrote that we were all tethered together through our pain. And it doesn't necessarily have to be pain, but she went on to write that as long as we don't share that pain, as long as we like walk past each other in the supermarket and try to pretend like everything's fine, but we're holding our breath, like we don't know that other person. We're not connecting to that other person. We're actually pushing them away. And when we can connect, like when we can say, dude, like I'm like trying to meditate in the middle of this thing is absolutely... You know, it's like the, on the edge of impossible, right? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. For those of you new to the podcast, Feeding Curiosity is a podcast that explores the precarious human experience, and we challenge ourselves and others to think, question, and synthesize wherever our curiosity takes us. It is through these conversations that we hope to provide blueprints for others to learn and lead a more fulfilling life. My guest today on the podcast is Corey McCarthy. Corey is a business owner and owns his own business, McCarthy IE, a company that specializes in historic restoration of churches and architectural homes. And I first wanted to reach out to Corey after listening to his episode on Peter Tia's podcast, The Drive. And honestly, I highly recommend you go and listen to that podcast because We don't really go into the circumstances of who Corey is, except talking about his experiences as they relate to the COVID-19 situation. And Corey is an incredibly thoughtful person. And the reason I say this is that Corey's life is one of traumatic events. And he was in prison for seven years, and he's very open about his experiences that either led up to prison or how he's dealt with starting over for, for a lack of a better term. And this podcast is at once timely, but also I think shares a lot of real life experience that a lot of us can connect to. And I had wanted to reach out to Corey again after watching the movie, just mercy. And by watching that movie, it, struck a chord in me that said, hey, there's this thing about prison systems that I had assumed was black and white, and now there's a whole bunch more gray. And so I couldn't help myself but try to reach out to someone who has had firsthand experience of being in prison. And I don't know, for me, this, this whole conversation and the where it went, given the circumstances, is very different than where it could have gone with COVID-19. So for those of you out there who are struggling and just dealing with this uncertain time, I hope this helps in some way because talking to Corey to share some insights as a prisoner related to sheltering in place put a lot of this in context for all of us to get through this, I hope. So with that, everyone, please enjoy this conversation with Corey McCarthy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. And today's guest, we're joined by Corey McCarthy. Hi, Corey. Hi, Eric. Thanks for doing this. And I know this is one of the out of the blue to, to kind of just get an email from me to, saying I listened to a previous podcast. So for full context, Corey was on a podcast that I listen to regularly and share on the website, which is Peter Tia's The Drive. And Corey shared a lot of his background there, but I wanted this conversation to stand alone. So we can kind of unpack it, but just kind of give people the overview of your story and like, what are you doing now? Well, first and foremost, thanks for having the curiosity to, to send out an email and see if you'd get something back. I honestly love sharing my story as uncomfortable as it may be sometimes because I think it gives people permission to have their own story. Mm-hmm. in their own pain or whatever. So I, I'm from Buffalo, New York. You just want a quick overview. I'm from Buffalo. I've had a pretty traumatic youth sprinkled in with some fun stuff, you know, and ended up with some heavy drug addiction and then prison for pretty much my entire 20s I spent in the New York State prison system. March 31st, 2020 will be nine years that I've been out of prison. 
and I'm currently in my backyard in Buffalo, New York, in a home I own. Due to COVID-19, I have four or five employees that are laid off, but we're going to figure it out. I have a thriving business and a beautiful family. And, you know, I, I don't prescribe to be any like magician or guru of anything, but I have a certain method that I've followed and, and it's worked to, to dramatically change my life and give me a lot of peace and happiness. And like you and like why you do this, like what you just said, like, I feel like there's, there's progress and there's regress and there's no mm-hmm. such thing as grass. So that's the nutshell. Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. I, I don't want to just dive in super fast to just kind of give people a quick overview, but I think your story is super pertinent in honestly today's situation. I reached out to you for completely different reasons initially, but now since this COVID-19 has kind of taken the entire world and forced us to reimagine or reevaluate our priorities, your story I think is even more important given the context because it's forcing most of us to realize that a lot of our life is the choice to be busy in many ways and to have the brakes be, you know, almost halted completely on that front is scary for a lot of people. You know, I I think a lot about the people who are not prepared for this, who are not sure about what is happening or, you know, what tomorrow holds for them. And, you know, I think someone's story like yours, which we're going to start diving into is, is one of those stories that can give people hope in a time where it doesn't seem so hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you fully. I mean, when we initially talked about this, it was, you know, this wasn't even in play. No. COVID-19 <laughs> wasn't even in play. And now it, it, it seems really appropriate just because for myself, I'm finding myself in a kind of a scary place mm-hmm. where I've been moving and moving and moving and, and, and I'm told to sit still and I'm sitting still, but I'm also finding my place in this like kind of fear driven mindset where it's as if because I have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring, you know, the, mm-hmm. the fact that everything's changed. And, and I didn't know that when I was in prison and I didn't know that the day I got out of prison and I, there was so many times in my life that I didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring, but I employed certain things that, that ended up really successful and really, and so it's like, I'm remembering now myself that, oh, okay, I know this place. Like it may not have had the same name, but it definitely had the same feeling. Yeah, absolutely. So where do you want to start with this? Like with your story and like, cause you know, this, I know that this story goes all the way back to childhood for you. And so, you know, as you're reflecting on with this scary times, uncertain times that we're in currently that the entire world is feeling, how does that relate to your experiences that you're able to pull on and to kind of now redefine in some way? Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because sometimes I don't, I don't want to get too deep into the story of like, so, I mean, you know, and I know, but um, I was like attacked and molested when I was seven in a public place. And, mm-hmm. and I can say that without much feeling or shame because I've done a lot of work around it, but a lot of times I don't want to get into that kind of thing because it can alienate people too, right? Mm-hmm. Like somebody that hasn't had that type of trauma would be like, oh, that like he's, you know, it's different. And so if anything, it, it seems more in line with like, you know, March 23rd or 24th of 2020 to kind of go with like being in places of fear because mm-hmm. in all honestly, I, I think like I'm a big believer in that pain is relative and fear, like emotion is relative, right? Even as as far as like exercise, like pain and and working out is relative. Mm -hmm. If you do one pull up and it's your first pull up ever, it's going to be painful. If I do 10, it's going to be painful for me because I'm used to doing pull ups, right? But we get the same gain. I just have to do more of it. And so like somebody like me with the traumas that I've had, it's like, I may have to go through a little bit something more painful Mm -hmm. to feel that. But like that being said, I think like maybe starting today and then kind of to, you know, like maybe checking in with each other, like what's going on a year in your life with COVID-19 and then working it back to like what we can relate that to today to. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes the most sense because it's, I think it's less about the, the overall story and more about these, drawn parallels to unpack the the story and say this is similar in that respect and it's you know it's through shared pain sometimes that we realize that 
even though we can feel isolated, that we can actually are all experiencing something to some degree or another. You know, I, I talk to a lot of my friends. I have had a lot of friends who are in the military or talk to people who were in the military and they talk about the same type of thing about trauma or pain where they say, don't go full vet because their level of stress is so much higher, if, especially if they've been in a combat situation, you know, and you, I would assume that your level of stress has been pushed to some sort of like combat like situation in retrospect, but it's not exactly the same. So it's a similar idea there. It's, you know, again, it's these shared relatives across spectrums that really help. And for me, like my general experience in this situation is I've done a lot of work in cultivating, you know, using like mindfulness or meditation, a lot of these buzzwords that have been in self-help for probably the last 10 to 20 years at this point, but haven't really gained popularity probably in the last five or 10 and I've been really leaning on these. It really feels like for me, this is kind of where it's like, okay, these are, this is the point where a lot of these tools that people have been saying it's good and you should be doing them. And now it's like, this is the true test. Like all these things that everyone's been saying, do they actually really work in this time when everybody's not interacting with people face to face? You're really not supposed to go outside. There's not much to do anymore. So like for me, it's just kind of not going stir crazy. Like, thankfully, I still live at home. I have my brother around. I have my parents around. So my like social circle isn't completely crumbled. I know that if I was like living at home alone, it would probably be a lot different. But right now it's kind of like I get off of work. I Then I just make myself go on a run or do some sort of home workout. And then I kind of go on with the rest of my day, kind of jump online and talk to friends over the internet somehow or just kind of interact socially in other ways with like some sort of outlet. Maybe it's reading, maybe it's an audiobook, maybe it's a podcast. So I don't know if you can relate to any of those things that I could talk about since you said you own your own business. So you can relate to it as like from the business aspect, how this has shifted for you as your own, like a small business owner. Cause that's really uncertain times for, for small business right now. Yeah. So I think like, it's good to hear other people, you know, being home with your brother and your family and the things like the, like you said, I think because you're from Chicago and I'm from like New York or the mm -hmm. East coast. It's like, when I hear things like, you know, like mindfulness, I, I love mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Like I practiced yoga and uh, meditation when I was in prison mm -hmm. and, and I still try to, but like at the same time, when I hear mindfulness in like 2020, I'm like, I, I kind of get turned off. Cause it's, it's like that. It's uh it's like when people say all the things and stuff, I'm like, oh, what the fuck? Yeah. So like, it's good to hear that you're, yeah, it's good to hear that like you're doing those things because they're, they're like, they're action words, right? Yeah. Like mindfulness is like, it's an action. It's not like a cute thing. And it's difficult. Like it's, it's interesting because what keeps coming to mind for me is if you ask an average person who hasn't practiced meditation to sit down and meditate, they're going to feel like they're going absolutely crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Because all the thoughts are going to kind of fly through their head. And, and in some ways I feel like that's what a lot of Americans are feeling right now is, is if they're like, they've been told to meditate and it's like, hold up, dude. Like, you know, like I have a ping pong game going on in my head right now and you're telling me to slow down. Like, because that's how we live, right? Yeah. We live kind of what's next, what's next, what's next. And yeah, I, it's interesting because like I, one of the things you heard on the podcast with Peter and, and it comes to mind when you started speaking was my daughter wrote in a high school um, and her, actually it was like, like a college acceptance essay. Mm -hmm. She wrote that we were all tethered together through our pain. And it doesn't necessarily have to be pain, but she went on to write that as long as we don't share that pain, as long as we like walk past each other in the supermarket and try to pretend like everything's fine, but we're holding our breath, like we don't know that other, we're not connecting to that other person. We're actually pushing them away. And when we can connect, like when we can say, dude, like I'm like trying to meditate in the middle of this thing is absolutely, you know, it's like the, on the edge of impossible. Right. So yeah. It's like, I'm super happy for the, the opportunity to talk to you just because I dig connecting to people. You know what I mean? Like I mm -hmm. dig that. It's, I said on Peter's podcast too, and it's one of the things I say an awful lot is I want to be rich in people, you yeah. know? Like I'd love to come visit you in, um, after this is all over yeah, someday. Like absolutely. That, that excites me. Yeah. Cool, man. Like, yeah. Like for me, this, 
So just kind of fill in the backstory. So I'm an engineer or mm. I was an engineer or still am an engineer, but I'm now in a sales position because of doing this <laughs> podcasting stuff because I was like, okay, if I want to be a technical person, I want to learn how to communicate better. And then might as well do that by getting paid while I do this thing on the side. But initially a lot of this, this road that I've gone down is like what you would broadly consider like wellness or self-help I knew inside myself I was that type of person who's go 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 all of the time and when someone would say meditation to me I would immediately think you know monk sitting on top of a pillow or or monk someone yeah. you know just totally sit zend out person and I was just like I don't get it like it just didn't make sense to me <laughs> at all and so it took many, many podcasts and many books to listen to. And then finally it was like, okay, if CEOs and people who are supposed to be the busiest people in the world are making five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes a day to make time for this thing of doing nothing, right? Like that's what people assume it is. Then why can't I, right? Like if these most important people in the world are figuring out how to do nothing, then I can figure it out too. And that's not to say it's easy or anything like that, or that I'm still not trying to figure out how to do it but it's also like using it in other ways. Like for me going on a run and looking at like a bug or a butterfly or something that I see across, you know, just randomly there staring at a cloud that can be considered mindfulness to some degree. So for me, it's, it's like a lot of this has just been my ways of exploring the world and how I've been able to just catalog my own trajectory and then just saying, here's what works. And then maybe it works for someone else. And if it doesn't, then they can throw it in the garbage can. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I mean, mindfulness is actually uh, much simpler than we, we we make it seem. And and I actually like to hear somebody, anybody, you, especially in the moment, say, you know, if this person can do it, like, why shouldn't I give it a try? Mm -hmm. And that, that goes back to the progress, regress, and dress thing. Like, one of my role models is a, is a really goofy old 65 year old painter and he's painted with like really noxious fumes his whole life. So he's kind of burnt <laughs> out, but he told me a long time ago, he said, you know, never think, you know, the best way to do anything um, because, you know, cause you're going to think you have the answers. And so like mm -hmm. anytime anybody says, well, I don't necessarily believe that this is going to be better, but why not give it a try? Yeah. That's like, that's where real growth I think happens. I totally agree with that because it's, a lot of the, a lot of the things that I've tried in my life are when I've got given myself the permission to even try and breaking down those self described boundaries to say, Oh, I'm not X or I'm not Y because that closes the door before you even give yourself the opportunity to even grow or know that you even don't like it. Like a lot of, I think a lot of us box ourselves in yeah. before we even attempt anything. And I think that is inadvertently shooting a lot of us in the foot. And it's just disingenuous for most of us. You know, it's part of the reason why this is called feeding curiosity, because I don't like categories, realistically. I like to be as well-rounded as possible. <laughs> I like to look at the world and say, why can't we mix, you know, A all the way over here and then mix Z all the way down at the end and see where the skill overlap comes that you wouldn't even expect it otherwise you know, pulling random threads or being able to learn from someone that, you know, you may have thought you'd never have anything in common. It's an engineering mindset in some ways. I like it. Yeah, it's pretty cool, man. But most people don't think like that, sadly. And I didn't for an awfully long time. I think that's where we get into trouble is like definites and absolutes. Mm -hmm. I think as a whole, you know, there's certain things that are definitely or absolutely not okay as far as like, you know, racism is absolutely not okay. And, right. you know, you know, and we could go on, but as far as like, you know, I definitely know the right way to do anything. That's just in ridiculousness. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I just had an idea and pardon me if I'm out of bounds or anything, but mm -hmm. so feeding curiosity, like, I guess, I guess one way to start like unpacking would be just like, ask me anything, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the best place to start would be if you had anything, like when you feel overwhelmed or unfocused, because it's really pertinent to the time, but just in general, what do you do? Like, what is your default for you to kind of realize that, hey, maybe I'm burning myself out right now, or I know I'm not, you know, operating at my peak here. So I'm maybe, you know, what do you do then? 
Yeah. So to different levels of severity, I always come back to routine. I think I don't want to quote anybody off the top of my head because I forget exactly who it was, but it was a psychologist I know recently was saying that routine, like as far as sleep patterns and like brushing your teeth, simple stuff. And it doesn't matter when that routine takes place, only that it takes place around the same time every day. Mm -hmm. Lowers your levels of anxiety, helps you sleep better, things like that. And, you know, I think especially today, and I learned this, I learned this when I was doing eight years in prison, right? But I learned that pretty much my entire life was out of control. And today it feels a little out of control because I don't really know what's going to happen with my employees next week or next month. You know, I, I, some of our contracts, if the market crashes, which hopefully it won't, but if it does, people aren't going to want to give me $40,000 or $75,000 to remodel their kitchen. Like, and I understand that, you know, mm -hmm. so I have to figure out something new, but how do I get back some semblance of control, which is, which kind of combats fear is by still getting up at like, you know, instead of five o'clock, I'll get up at six o'clock in the morning, seeing as I don't have to go to work and I'll still brush my teeth and I'll still journal, you know, and I'll still make coffee and I'll still take the dogs out and get an exercise. Like, a, like I'll work out in the morning just as if I would before. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I'm going to screw up. Like that's kind of the part I think a lot of people have a hard time with is like, mm -hmm. you know, it's like a cheat day when you, when you have a diet or whatever, but like, there's going to be a day in the next couple of days where I sit down and I'm sad and I'm like, I'm just going to watch fucking Netflix all day. Yeah. And that's it. And I'm not going to feel good about it when I'm done. <laughs> But I still have, I can still get back on the horse, right? Yeah. I don't have to continue that process. Like I can still, so to answer your, your question, like it's definitely routine mm -hmm. and it's, it's just the routine of like investing in my day and investing in myself, even though they may seem, even though that the things that I'm doing may seem trivial at the time, like, what are you going to work out for? Like, you're not going to be on the beach anytime soon. I'm working out to make myself feel better, not to look better. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm brushing my teeth to, to, to have a little bit more control over uh, uncontrollable situation. I think that makes a lot of sense because I've been doing the same thing. Like even though my routine is, is more or less the same, or at least the visual is the same. I still kind of follow the same thing. It's like, all right, after this time you say you go to the gym, so you go work out outside or whatever after work for you. Like when you fall off the horse, like you said, is how do you get yourself to get back on it. Cause I think that's one of the hardest things people have in general is they say they're going to do something and they follow that, you know, they, they're really gung ho about it for maybe a week or two. And then they mess up one day and then they immediately berate themselves so heavily and say they're a failure and they're never going to, you know, th that negative spiral takes over very quickly for a lot of people. And so they don't, you know, commit to the long-term process. So how would you, how do you give yourself the okay to be able to get back on the horse after a that's bad a good day? It's a really good question. And I have to, I have to think about it because, you know, I've, I've, I can relate to the, the to the negative self-talk and I can relate to devaluing, you know, like through, through negative self-talk, like devaluing myself and then, then in turn devaluing the process. Right. Yeah. So I think, you know, I don't want to answer that like just willy nilly. So yeah. if we could come back to it, you yeah, know, like we, throughout the course of the conversation, because it's, it's a really important point Yeah, that you, and it's a really important question that you make. Mm -hmm. We can, we yeah. can circle around to it. So th from there we could go into kind of like, what do you find yourself that has been the most useful investment of your time? Like you mentioned before, like investing in people, like you want to be people rich and things like that. Where, what have you found like pays the most dividends outside of like monetary for like quality of life? Oh, geez, there's so many, but it, it would definitely be in relationships. I mean, everybody doesn't have, <clears throat> everybody doesn't have the same gifts, right? Like mm -hmm. a surgeon may not be able to do what you do as far as sales. You know, mm -hmm. most of the surgeons I know are, aren't the best at talking to people and they're not in the business of selling anything, you know, but I, you know, one of the things I think for me that's been really, really value valuable was, was reading. 
Mm-hmm. And it's something that I don't do a ton of today. And, but the most important thing in my life by far is human relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How have you... By far, the one, the thing that I... Go ahead. How have you, like, developed your ability to, to like... I'm going to use a very, like, scientific word, but, like, cultivate relationships, like, foster, like, good connections with people? Because I think it's... Especially in this day and age, and, again, heightened due to the circumstances, we have a lack of in-depth relationships around us. You know, a lot of us are feeling some sort of existential loneliness where we're stuck in our hamster wheel, so to speak, where, we, you know, all you do is go to work and then maybe you go to the gym, but you can kind of exist with a pair of headphones on for most of your day and never actually speak to another human being outside of like a business call. Yeah. Um, no, that makes, that makes complete sense. And I think, I think one of the, one of the things that I've been told is similar to a superpower for me is that I'm willing to share who I am or what's happened to me in mm-hmm. in a strong way with people, but usually to be helpful to them. Mm-hmm. But there's a number of books that I've read on human relationships, one being like The Go-Giver. It was okay. a really good book, but it's how to give of yourself. And I think I think the the most important thing is, it, in a lot of ways, it's vulnerability and then treating people with respect. I've said this before, and and I really like it. And I don't know where the fuck it came from, but it's I don't need to respect your views. I don't need to respect your values. I don't need to respect very much about you to show you respect. Mm-hmm. And so you know, so like those two things, like coupled together, like I'll show you respect is just because you're a human being. And then on top of that, like I'll show you myself in the hopes that you can then show me your true self that we can actually going back to my daughter's comment, like tether ourselves together through our vulnerability. Yeah. That's really important because it's, it's one of those things that where, how have you been able to become vulnerable? I think there's a lot of societal things there that limit our ability. And especially as, as men too, being vulnerable is incredibly difficult. Yeah. Uh, sharing pain. For, Absolutely. For one thing, how have you learned to do that even? Because that's, again, that's not a very common thing. And like I said, even though I'm not very old, it's one of the things that I've tried to work on for my own sake because bottling things up is never a good thing. This is a place I'm, I'm actually really comfortable with now. And it's also a very difficult place. So it, mm-hmm. it kind of, I'm going to circle all the way back to when I was younger and, and I had gotten abused. And at some point I was hanging out with my friends and we were all getting drunk on like the train tracks. And I think I felt, I felt like I, there was an opening for me to share the pain that I was in from what had happened to me as a young man. And mm-hmm. I did. And everybody kind of made a joke out of it because, you know, we were kids and we were drunk. Like that wasn't obviously the time or the place. And that's what you for do. As a- yeah. And, 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 and I learned in that moment, like I, at some point I feel most men learn at some point to, you know, don't cry or I'll give you something to cry about toughen up, you know, whatever, however you want to say it, you know, we learn that kind of emotions are for girls or what, you know, and the fact is, you know, yesterday, I I was on a Zoom call with a bunch of guys that were in a group and it was on me. It was my turn to kind of lead that group. And the question I was asked was like, what are you feeling in the moment? And it was a lot of frustration and fear and things of that nature. And somebody asked me, well, what do you want to do? And what did I want to do? I wanted to, I wanted to scream, right? Like in that moment, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to scream. And I was in my attic. Uh, my attic in my house is our bedroom. And uh, my stepson was downstairs and my wife-to-be was downstairs. And so I grabbed a pillow and I screamed into that pillow. Somebody asked me if I wanted to do that, right? They said, would you want to grab a pillow? And I was embarrassed as all hell to do that. But, but I wanted to, and I wanted the release of doing it. So there was like a place in there where it was like, I could have very easily said, no, 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 I'm good. And that's what we do, right? No, yeah. I'm good. Hey, Eric, how you doing today? Oh, I'm good. Are yep. you really in the middle of Corona? You're fucking good. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that seems a little odd, but all right. Yeah, let's get a drink, you know? No, I, I screamed into that pillow. And I, I, I'll i tell you, dude, like I screamed once and I wanted to put the pillow down. And I did. And the guy was like, hey, 
sounds like there might be a little bit more in there. <laughs> so I screamed a couple more times. <laughs> and he was right. He was right. That's so good. And instantly my face, like, like you're laughing right now, like the muscles in my face relaxed a mm-hmm. little bit, right? Like I realized internally rather than like in my head, but internally my body realized like, no, actually everything's okay. Like in this second, mm-hmm. everything's actually okay right now. Like there's no need for fight. There's no need for flight and there's no need to freeze in this moment. You're safe. Mm-hmm. But it, it, you know, the paradox of it is that comes from actually opening up. Now, you can't just open up to everybody, right? Like I don't yes. suggest opening <laughs> up at the bar. You know what I mean? And and like what you're doing with your with the podcast is like you're finding spaces for things. Mm-hmm. And so you have to find that space out there. I mean, there's a number of organizations. There's Everyman spelled with one E, E-V-R-Y-M-A-N.com. Great organization, ton of press locally. I mean, nationally. And they've just started doing online men's groups, mm-hmm. Zoom calls because of the current culture. But there's a number of those out there. And I would encourage men to find those because that's awesome. those have given me much stronger relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I wound up reading, because of Peter Tia, I read the book, I Don't Want to Talk About, by Terrence Real. And I don't... Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, it's it's one of those funny things that everybody would... All, I would say the title and they're like, wait, what? And then I was like, no, that's the title of the book. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> and yeah. like, I'm not diagnosed with anything or, or had any sort of issues on, the, on that end of the spectrum or anything like that, but I got a ton of value from just the collective experience and just how these events manifest themselves for people, you know, and then that you bury that pain. And then when you tell yourself, I'm never going to be like that, it just creates a cycle that you then inadvertently, like it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that I wind up, I don't know. I just think it, it just would solve so many more, so much of our societal problems in just this weird gender divide where it's like certain, you know, because you're a man, you should be strong and tough. And then because you're a woman, you should be, you know, delicate and and need saving or something like that, you know, to use the old school terminologies. It's just really disingenuous, I think, for, for everybody involved, because you wind up like chopping off a whole range of emotion that you should have access to that you just don't learn how to use. It's like a toolbox, right? Is kind of the way I think of it. It's like, you don't, you, you just like never get a chance to play with these tools and they just, you know, <clears throat> atrophy. It's like not working out <laughs> realistically. Yeah. 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 They, it affects, it affects your life in ways that are unseen mm-hmm. until you open that box back up. Right. Like mm-hmm. interestingly enough, like if you, if you print, so, so eventually had I not yelled in that pillow mm-hmm. or had the tools that I have to like breathe, like I know that breathing can actually calm my nervous system, which then tells my brain that I am okay. But if I don't have these tools and I don't like do that, what ends up happening is eventually I'm going to yell at somebody in my life or mm-hmm. be short with one of my employees or my dog or, you know, my dad was an amazing man and is an amazing man. But there was times when I was young where I watched him you know, get a little wild with the dog. <laughs> it's like, how could this guy, like, I can't imagine this guy today getting crazy with the dog, but yeah. you know, he was under pressure and like he, there was nobody he was going to go talk to about that. Mm-hmm. He wasn't going to go to any of his friends and be like, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm losing my mind or I feel like I have a ball in my chest that just wants to jump out of my throat or, and because of that, you know, like, there's always some manifestation of that emotion somewhere else. And you just don't, I don't want to talk about it usually means I'm going to show you as opposed to I'm going to tell you. That's a really good way of putting it. I never thought of it that way, but that's, yeah, that really is true for you. It has, how has this affected your ability to interact? Not in just in any aspect of your life, you know, even as a boss, as a husband or partner, and even as a parent, I, th- I think it, you know, the, these things, we don't realize how it gives you an ability to pause, I guess, is probably the easiest way to explain it, you know, to not just say, you know, maybe someone's being annoying to you or whatever. And you just immediately do that first thing that snaps into your mind, you know, where you have an outburst. And yeah. I, I think a lot of these tools wind up giving you this ability to pause and say, I would normally react this way but I'm going to choose not to. 
how is that manifested for you? Yeah. So great question. And on top of it, it brings me back to an answer from your original question about the self-talk, right? Like when you do fall, because, all right. So here's, here's one of the first questions I want to ask myself in this, you know, current climate, the world is who do I want to be, right? Mm -hmm. Like, who do I want to be today? And now I can be the guy who watches like uh, Nurse Jackie all day long and then feels like a drug addict when I turn the lights off at night. Or I can get up and I can build something or do something constructive, right? But there's going to be the day that I do the thing that I don't want to do. There's going to be the day, dude, is is like prolific as I might seem. <laughs> I think so. Shape. My, six, my, my 18-year-old daughter, I came home, we got into an argument she was going to move out again and she had no plan and, and all this other stuff. And she got real mouthy with me. And, and I was like, you better watch your fucking mouth. Like I don't, you're not, and not, not, not five minutes later, I was downstairs in the kitchen trying to take those deep breaths. Like, come on, Cora, like you're bigger than this. Right. And my 12 year old comes downstairs and he's screaming at his mother ah, 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 and, and say another, like threatened a 18 year old girl. And, and then yelled at a 12 year old boy. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I could, I could instantly say to myself and I did like, dude, you're a piece of shit. Like you haven't changed a bit. Like that's the self-talk that went through my head. And it's, it goes back to who do I want to be? And that's, so that's that answer. And it's also like, how do those things change? They don't change overnight. Right. And they don't change instantly. They don't change consistently either. That's the, that's kind of the hard point. That's what answers mm-hmm. your earlier question is, is like, who do I want to be tomorrow? Yeah. You know, like, and, and the thing is, man, like we're always evolving and we're always getting new information. And so I need to like forgive myself for the things I've done so that I can learn the things that I need to learn. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's almost like, the analogy of the cup, like, is it, is it half full, half empty? But if, if it's always full, right. If, if, if my cup's always full, I can't put anything new in it, you know? So I need to like, I need to let go of some of that shame. I need to let go of some of that anger. I need to let, let go of some of that. Like, yeah, I mm-hmm. fucked up today. And so that I can put in some new information, some new self-love, like, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I learned too early on was if you want good self-esteem, you need to do esteemable acts. Like, it's just that simple. You wow. know, yeah. Does he? Yeah. It was a nun that told me that one day because I was like, I don't know. I don't really feel good about myself. And she was like, Yeah, that's understandable. You're a felon and you're in a halfway house and you have no money, like, uh, and you haven't done much good in your life. So, so it's understandable that you don't feel good about yourself. And it's understandable that sometimes you don't feel good about yourself if you eat a box of pizza by yourself, you know? Like, it goes back to that threshold. But thing. if you want, yeah, exactly. Like you, you need to do a steamable X. So it's like sometimes one of the things that saves me in, in, in the worst of situations, the thing that saves me is service to others mm-hmm. doing something for other people. Yeah. That always tends to save me from like despair, mm-hmm. shame, anger, what's all like, that shit. What's the simplest thing you, you do to make yourself in service? Simplest thing? Mm-hmm thing would be so I worked for a guy a long time ago and I'm just going to give an analogy because it works better that way Mm -hmm. but I worked for him in a on a construction crew and he would give me directions to do stuff and then ask me to go and what I needed to get done because I was constantly getting his stuff so in your own home in your own place if there's something that's bothering you like the dishes or whatever just fucking do them right like the laundry like the, the the thing that I mean like that's one and and you know you don't say anything about it you just do it yeah that's that's one of the easiest ways that I can be of service another really great one for anybody that's in a relationship you know I don't know if you heard Kat Hoax interview with Tim Ferriss mm-hmm. but she's really epic human being she does this thing in the prisons called love bombs and what we're used to doing for people is we tell them we love them and then we tell them or we really appreciate them or we really like them and we tell them we appreciate them because they do this for us. A lot of times when we tell like, mom, mom, I really love you because you always made me peanut butter and jelly or whatever. Instead of what's unique about them. And so I try to take time 
to tell people what I like about them that's independent of our relationship. What sets them apart? You know what I mean? I do that for my partner. I try to do that for my kids. And then I try to do it for strangers. And that's a simple, it's it's a very simple way. Yeah, that's really, I've never heard of it said that way, but it, yeah, that's really good because we're so used to saying why people are important to us. So then you're inadvertently making it about you, even though you feels like you're not, you're giving them a compliment, which is interesting. Um, now, now I'm going to be aware of that when I do things like that, because <laughs> it's, that's a super interesting one for me. And good. Like I hadn't thought of it that way. And again, I kind of want to back up too, because you said you're, you're, you're not a guru in any sense, or, you know, not a superstar in many of these things, but I think, that's just exactly why it is important to ask people these questions because you don't need to be a somebody to try to be better. Like you don't need to be a CEO of the world. Right. <laughs> you know, you don't need to be a Jeff Bezos or an Elon Musk to be worthy of sharing something that might help someone else. And even still, like if, if Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos was telling you something, I don't know how many people would actually listen to that as much because it's easy to say, eh, he's that person, you know, of course it's easy for him to do that. Right. <laughs> so for me, I, I think it's, it's just as important to share these stories, these mundane things, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's the mundane things. It's, I mean, <clears throat> it, it kind of goes back to like what you said uh, again about like when you fall off, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's Bezos or Bill Gates or somebody that's telling you, or even like Peter Atia or somebody that's telling you something, it's like, oh yeah, because you are this person, like you can do that, but not in like this life. There's, there's like, interestingly enough, this crisis has made me realize that like the world stage, like as alluring as I think it is for everybody to kind of be somewhat famous or, mm -hmm especially now, you know, in like in today's day and age, is it really important? You know, I mean, if you can reach more people with good information, awesome. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's why I said books are so important to me, but in, in podcasts and things of that nature, but like being, being of service and kind and, you know, present in your home and in your life is way more important than like getting on a stage. And as a matter of fact, I think it's how you end up on a fucking stage is by like being present and important and kind and, and courteous in your day-to-day -day life. Right. Like you don't get there by being a dick, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe some do, who knows? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it is interesting thing, right? Like there's all of these, it, it feels like to me for the first time, that I've noticed that a lot of these ideas about what community really means has finally, we've all been shocked awake to some degree or been forced to reevaluate as a culture about whether these things, what, what really matters in a society or what does a good culture or community look like? Because I don't think as we can see right now, this problem, even though it is global, it has, more impacts at the local level than than the government or the state governments are going to be able to help. So it's kind of like up to each of our own little communities to kind of pitch in as needed in this way, right? And, and it, where I live, it's I've never seen the community more alive than probably when I was little, you know, or when I was outside riding bikes and as a little kid and my parents were watching us, so don't go down to the end of the block. You're like, I haven't seen it like this since then, you know, <laughs> and it seems it's like we've turned, I do, yeah. it's like we've turned back the dial on like this, the technology progression of like this, our own little bubbles and the community is alive. Like people smile at you or at least they've been smiling at me. Like they acknowledge your presence and it's weird, but it's also like really hopeful, which is, I'm like, wow, this is so strange. It's so, it's just, I don't know. I'm kind of excited. And it's also, you know, it sucks that it took this to, to make that happen though. Yeah. It's Jesus will probably get twisted up somehow by somebody. And I don't mean it to, to be that way, but I, I feel like, 
I feel like this is going to be terrible in a number of ways for a lot of families, for a lot of doctors, for a lot of nurses, for, but I also feel like, and this is the the kind of somewhat comical part is like, I feel like COVID-19 has the ability to make America great again, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, whoever, right? Right. Like, not that America is not great. I actually believe full heartedly that it's one of the best places in the world. But like you said, I was walking down the street the other day with the dog and, and I try, I, I go out of my way to like wave and say hello to people even when they don't. But we, you know, there was people, it reminded me of my childhood in some ways. And it's really strange because it's, it's made things in some ways hyper digital, right? As yes. far as so many, I mean, like Zoom stock has like probably tripled, <laughs> but you know, Google meetup. Anyway, like my um, stepson, we built a rack in the garage in the past two days, you know, out of like scrap wood. Mm-hmm. And we wouldn't have done that. We wouldn't have time to do that. Like I would have been busy. He would have been busy going to practices and all this yep. other stuff. Yeah. And he actually said today, he was like, I'm not bored at all. I've been riding my skateboard. I've been, we, we climbed the, uh, there's a school behind me mm-hmm. and we climbed up the school and got on the roof. <laughs> yeah. Thankfully there's no camera. So there's no proof of that. I could be lying, but um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've, we've had, a, we've actually in some ways had a blast mm-hmm. um, in the midst of the uncertainty and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. It, it, I totally agree. Like it's, like I, I do agree that it, it it sucks to say that this event is going to help. There's so many layers to this scenario that, that I go to is because I can look at it from the healthcare perspective. And then I look at it through, you know, the people that are actually affected by this thing. And then economically speaking, like it, it it's just all of this interwoven impacts that for the first time in a long time, it's not just like an isolated thing, right? Like a lot of the major events that we've had, in the 2000s have all been separated to some degree. Like 9-11 was its own thing. Like that was New York, but like the, you know, the country rallied around it. The, the war in Afghanistan, that was still like there, right? And then if we're going global, it's like Brexit was Brexit or whatever, you know? It's like all of these things were kind of like isolated to either single ge- geographic locations or it didn't really affect each of us. But this thing is like this thing that immediately took all of us by storm and it interrupts our daily lives and gives us a chance to reflect. And I think reflection is one of the most powerful things that we can do as humans that the way we've manufactured our lives, we don't give ourselves enough time. And I remember that you have journals of like a lot of the times that you've had. And so I know that you're a big fan of reflection. So do you still keep up with a journal and things like that? Yeah, not, not, I do. I actually wrote in it today and I, I, I was down in Costa Rica in January. Um, enough like, so, um, just like a quick story, uh, feeding, feeding your curiosity. Like, so in 2007, I was halfway through doing eight years in prison and I had just kind of started to try to get sober and a number of other things. I had gotten into an altercation with the security staff at the facility Mm -hmm. and I had gotten put into solitary confinement. And I wrote in there that I needed to start seeing this happen before it happened. And Mm -hmm. so over the next 30 days that I was in solitary, I was complaining about my circumstances being in prison. So I was, there was like no humility in the fact that like I belonged in prison because I had, you know, committed a, a, a severe crime and that the prison system was really bad and all these other things. And so there's all this like complaining and I, and I noticed it and I wrote it down and I was like, so one of the things I need to look, and that's, that's one instance of, of journaling. And then I have a, another great story. That's kind of, you know, it sounds, I don't take it how you want it. Right. So <laughs> here a cup, I think it was last year. It was last summer. I uh, typically in the middle of the summer is like our busiest time of the year. We usually have like 12 people go in and a couple of different jobs and we do really high end work. And, 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 and I, I really want the results to be, I, I come in under budget and all these things. So midsummer, I'm usually like all the way stressed out. Mm-hmm. And, and I noticed it because of self-reflection and because of journaling. And I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to read a page from one of the journals from when I was incarcerated, right? And have some coffee and sit on the front steps and kind of reflect to get a little gratitude, right? Like you're stressed out that like, 
your 12 employees might not be full, at full capacity. Like, dude, like you're in a cage seven years ago. Like I think it, you can relax. A little. And I just flipped open a page and it just so happens that I, I flip open a page from 2007, which was the year that I got sober. And it was like a six month projection kind of a thing. It was like, I just, all I want from this life is to be at my own house able to cut my own grass, wash my own car in my own drive and sit on my own. And there I was, you know, what, 12 years later, sitting on my own front steps, watching the world pass me by, you know, and it just so happens that that was the page I opened to. And, I, and it's like, if that's not a good enough reason to journal, you know, like I don't, I mean, and, and yet I don't journal every day. I have been journaling through this experience because it just seems so appropriate you know you think of like a time capsule like i i'm I'm very interested how i'm going to uh feel when i reread the journal entries from march april of 2020 and you know march april of 2025 yeah i think it's a a really good tool that's i I, those stories are really important like again it's just given your circumstances it puts it even more stark contrast uh, for yourself, because I think it's really easy for people to to say this is who I've been, and then to not give themselves the ability to say they could get better, you know. And I think that's one of the things you've been done really, really well to actually build a network and have the ability to to say I can try and improve. And in the easiest terms, how, how would you suggest someone work to either like asking help from someone or just somehow get themselves to take the first step to improve in whatever category it might be? Uh, it doesn't really matter just in general terms. Yeah. So there's, there's two questions there and both really good questions. This is like such an appropriate podcast for you because you are a curious guy and you ask really good questions. So the the easiest way to get started, I mean, it's going to sound stupid, but is to take the first step. So, and I mean this with all sincerity, I learned yoga. This is, so I learned yoga um, while I was in prison and it was from probably what you would consider like the idiot's guide to yoga. Right. But it was a seven week yoga the first week, all the book taught you to do was how to breathe. And it asked you to breathe for five minutes or three minutes every morning and every night before bed. That was it. That was it. That's all you did for a week. You would breathe deeply for three minutes. I was like, all right, I could do this. You know <laughs> what? The reason I wanted to do yoga was because I was in solitary confinement and came across the New York Post. And there was a, an 85 year old woman doing like um, not a and but it kind of looks like a parallel and I couldn't do it and I was in great shape so I was kind of pissed off about it so the second week you sit on your ass and you try to touch your toes for three minutes every morning right so um like that's that's how that's the simplest way to get started Mm -hmm. if you want to get into shape get up every morning and you know call it stupid if you want to, but that's like, I'm, I'm still in phenomenal shape and, and it's from doing the same thing, right? Like, and it started with one pull up, mm-hmm. you know, get up every morning and do five push ups, and then, you know, increase that and then slowly increase that when there's room to increase that. And the other thing, the other, cause you asked kind of two questions. So the answer to the first is just start one, two, three, go, right? Like pick one thing, one, two, three, go, let's do it. Like do that thing. And the other one is it, the, the other question I think was kind of still around like self value. Like how do you know that you should try? Yes. And I think there's two factors. There's two factors that really come into play there. And they're, and they're, they're typically what I've seen in my life are lack of hope and fear of failure. Cause none of us want to look like a failure and, and, and we typically don't think we can do it. Right. Like mm-hmm. I would imagine at some point you were like, I don't know if I could really, like, if, if I'm going to get this guy on this podcast, you know, like, and you send the email anyway, mm-hmm. right? Like you do the thing anyway. Yeah. I think the answer to, to both is kind of just do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. And, 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 and it, 
one of the words that you used was, or one of the phrases was, I'm like losing it. It's, <laughs> oh, how do you learn how to like to learn something you don't understand? Or, and, and so as a man, this goes back to that kind of screwed up, skewed thinking we, we learn as men is that we're supposed to just know stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like guys are like, oh, I don't know how to use this tool. Mm-hmm. And, and so they never pick the tool up. Yeah. And they, but they also never ask, right? We pretend. Like, I don't know how many times I've sat around a car with a group of guys that knows cars and said, oh, yeah, the carburetor. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> and shook my head like I knew what the fuck they were talking about. And instead of just saying, can you explain a carburetor to me? <laughs> right? Yep. And maybe for a moment, a couple of them laugh. But then I might learn something about carburetors as opposed to still being ignorant at the end of this conversation. Yeah. Right? And so that, like, in the simplest terms, that's what you said. In the simplest terms, like, how do you get the gain knowledge to new things kind of? And it's by saying, I don't know. <laughs> it's simply by saying, hey, I don't know how to do this. Could you possibly tell me yeah. or explain to me or show me? But that's, like, I'm still in that process. Like, there's times, and that goes back to what my friend said, like, never believe that you know the best way to do anything. You know, yeah, it's in psychology terms, it's cultivating bigger uh, beginner's mind, you know, always being a beginner and open to learning. And it's a hard thing to do because when you spend a lot of time doing things or doing one thing for that matter, you're it's easy to say, yes, I'm an expert at X or when people it's even worse when people start recognizing you as a person who can do X because it goes to your head. How do you control the your ego in some ways? You know, like when you are feeling more self-important than you should be. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it's it, it's usually so. There's times when I think I'm right. So one of the ways I check my ego. So quite honestly, one of the ways I check my ego is if I think three people are assholes in one week, I'm probably being the asshole. As opposed to like if three people think that I'm being a, you know, an a-hole or a jerk or whatever. But usually it's like I need to, if, if I think everybody else is turning into jerks or ignorant or not that intelligent, then I'm probably being the one that's not being that intelligent or a jerk or whatever. Mm-hmm. For me, I think it's more often that the struggle is that what I have to say isn't that important. Yeah. So for me, it's, it's usually the opposite, the ego the ego comes into play for me as far as selfishness. I think okay. more than like, I think I'm like special. Yeah. It's more like I need to take care of me. You know, that's where that gets in the way for me. For yeah, sure. That makes sense. So we've already been doing this for an hour and I really want to be respectful of your time. <laughs> I know it flies. I got a couple more questions and you've already mentioned a it's lot true. of, a lot of books, but we'll wrap up for any other books that either you've gifted to people or have made a big impact on you? Uh, yeah. So one of the things kind of cool thing I do with a bunch of my friends or guys I've met in prison is I send them books mm-hmm. and then I ask them if they'll write like a one page book review on it. I mean, honestly, it's really cool thing to do for a number of reasons. One, I get reminded of the book or I learn something new about the book. But also, like, if you have the time to do a book report, you remember that a little bit more than you would if you just read it. So one of the books that I just sent to a guy is actually a children's book by a woman named Trina Paulus. Mm -hmm. But it's not necessarily a children's book. I'd challenge you to find it and read it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called Hope for the Flowers. And it may seem like it it sounds funny coming from an ex-con, right? Like a felon and like a contractor and like... But it's a beautiful, beautiful book. Um, The Little Prince is another one. Like I try a lot of my favorite books outside of like psychology are more about staying a child and staying childlike in some ways Mm -hmm. and having faith and and things like that. But like, yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, The Secret's another great book. There's a there's a ton of once you get started on that road, you know, there's a ton of good books. Yeah. yeah, but read Hope for the Flowers. If you do, if you read nothing else in the next week, read Hope for the Flowers. It'll take you 45 minutes. Cool. I will definitely be picking that one up for sure. And then the last question here is, you know, just kind of reflecting on all of this, right? Do you have a, you know, new belief or mindset or routine that you've picked up 
that has most impacted your life positively since getting out of prison? I think that normally I would say like in the last two years, but I think for you, it, it makes it more sense to say, you know, you like post prison because I think it's worth reflecting on that. Yeah. Um, there is one for the, it's, it's, it's an interesting, I think you you may know more about this than me, but I think it's something like every seven years, every cell in your body regenerates. Mm -hmm. I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. So interestingly enough, it's, it's almost been nine years. And in the past two years, there's been a big, a new shift. I've been kind of dealing with the, you know, when I was in prison, I, I adopted an, a mentality of endure and overcome. And those two, those two things were like, really pivotal endure whatever it is and overcome right just kind of constantly forging forward those two things again when I got out of prison kind of did the same thing because I remember being terrified and being like what am I going to do now I literally have 72 dollars and, and I'm living in a halfway house and I have nothing and nobody really trusts or believes in me and it was like do the same fucking things you did to get through prison read books, exercise, get up in the morning, talk to people, ask them, tell an old nun while you're gardening with her, Hey, I feel really shitty about myself. What should I do? Mm -hmm. You know, and learn from it. But in the past two years, it's been like really going back into the pain and sifting through the pain and fully investing in relationships. And when I say that like that, you know, through every man, they've given me some of the tools. I, I'm, I'm friends with the, the founders and the co-founders. But like, you know, in, in your home right now, mm -hmm. right? In my home right now, I can choose to be alone in my own home. Mm -hmm. And not that that's a bad thing, but if I'm keeping my thoughts and my processes um, to myself, then why am I like in this relationship, right? Like why am I friends with you or friends with mm -hmm. somebody if I'm keeping things intentionally from you? But that was yeah. the way that I endured and overcome and overcame. Right. Like I just kind of constantly forge forward by myself for myself on, you know, and, and in the past two years, it's, it's been really like, I'm going to tell you if I really like you, I'm going to tell you what I really like about you because, or I'm going to tell you that like all the time, I don't feel good about this. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm going to be as honest as possible so that the, the relationships I do have in my life are as meaningful as possible so that I'm no longer like with you, but alone. Right. Like that's how you end up feeling lonely in a room full of people, I think. And because you're not fully transparent with these people. So the people that I do choose to like, you know, make my core circle with like that's mm -hmm. it's work, though. Yeah. People don't always <laughs> like what you have to say. Yeah. I think that's really important. Just doing this podcast has really made me appreciate the ability to have depth of relationship. And just being able to connect with people more deeply, you know, the art of conversation, as I kind of like to think of it as, is kind of a lost art. <laughs> just given how much we communicate via, you know, letters on a screen in whatever form you choose. And it loses a lot of that messiness that is connecting with someone. You know, we've been using Zoom meetings so we can see each other's facial expressions and things like that, which is a lot nicer in, in realistically because I do enjoy that part of it. You know, having people in the area, it's one of the unique things about this. And, you know, we could obviously go on for many hours. So there's always a room for a round two and maybe a round two in person, you know, post COVID-19. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, you're, it's just a lot to think about. And I'm really appreciative of this whole time because I, I walk away with these conversations with so much to just chew over and reflect. And then once I go and edit this stuff, I will, you know, have even more out of it because I listened to it twice. You know, I'm at once doing it and then I edit it all and turn it into a blog post that goes up online. So it's, nice. it's, uh, there's so many layers to this thing for me and just, I'm really appreciative of your time and just to share your experiences with me and by extension, whoever chooses to listen to this, possibly the whole world realistically. So it's and just thanks for it all across the board. Yeah, man. Thank you. It was, it was really enjoyable for me. I mean, obviously under the situation or whatever, it's a little easier to find time, mm -hmm. but your line of thought, you know, Peter is also a engineer and I just like the way engineers brains work. I'm like, get a bigger hammer, you know, but like <laughs> you guys are like, hold on, let's think it through. Let's think it might be an easier way. And so it, you know, it's clarifying for me too, because 
Because a lot of times I don't ask myself um, the questions that you asked, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it was really enjoyable for me. It was nice to uh, it was nice to sit down and talk with you, Eric. Yeah, thank you very much. No problem. Thank you. And I guess the last thing is, if there's anything, either some final thoughts, just given our conversation or given the circumstances, and then just how can people connect with you if they want to reach out and say hi or whatever. Yeah. So you can find me at, I'm on Instagram as McCarthy. I think it's underscore I E. I'll have links in the show notes. Yeah. At Twitter, Facebook. And uh, yeah, I mean, just reach out on any of those platforms. I'm actually going to start putting out content, which I'm like somewhat uncomfortable with just because, you know, like, again, like I, I'm not very self-important, but I do think I have some, some concrete ways out of tough times and you know like writing down routines and things of that nature so as a matter of fact I was thinking about a quote today and it's kind of apropos to all of us it's from Shawshank Redemption and it's when Andy Dufresne swam through a river of shit so uh Red in the movie who was I think it was Morgan Freeman he said yeah he's the only guy who swam through a river of shit to come out clean on the other side and and the idea, hopefully through the content that I'm going to put out there is to help people swim through this river and come out a little cleaner on the other side. That might be the title so of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yes. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. That's wild. Yeah. I, I can't wait to hear it, man. I, uh, I love these. Yeah, this is fun, man. It's a lot of fun. Cool. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Until next time, everyone. Yeah. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in and we will see you in the next episode.